This is Francis Widdowson. This is Benjamin Anderson. This is Dallas Alexander. I'm Alex Craner. This is Forrest Moretti. This is Chris Sims. This is Chris Barber, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Wednesday hump day. Whoop, whoop. Hope everybody's week is moving along. Here on this side of things, we are uh, hard at her. Um, I think, I think I'm releasing a Thursday episode this week. <sighs> Pretty sure I am. Yeah, it's been an interesting uh, go here. I, uh, you know, I after the event, you you kind of take a, a a little bit of a reprieve, if you would, from hammering out an episode a day. I got a bunch of texts wondering why I wasn't releasing on Thursdays, and I said, well, truthfully, I I uh, I wasn't planning on releasing five a week. I was planning on releasing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Fridays, and uh, you know, and then you get rolling in the swing of things, and it's like, all right, I got some stuff coming. Let's let's roll. And, uh, and then, you know, you have an event go on and you kind of burn yourself out for a few minutes and you, you got to take a little bit of a breather and a breather is four times a week instead of five times, which I'm sure people are laughing about, but I believe we're going to have a, a Thursday episode this week. So, uh, stay tuned for that. Either way, let's get on to today's episode sponsors, Blaine and Joey Stefan, Guardian Plumbing and Heating. They were back on way, way, way back on episode 337. Can you believe we're at, what is it? Is it 406 today? 405 today? One, I think 405. Anyways doesn't matter. Uh, it's like, since Wayne does 337 seem that long ago, I can just imagine how Joe Rogan feels when he's on almost episode 2000, or has he hit it yet, folks? Anyways, you get the point. It's like, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of talks. That's a lot of, you know, and uh, some people keep asking, you having fun? Oh, I'm having fun. Don't, don't you worry about that. Sean's enjoying this, and it's because of companies like Guardian Plumbing and Heating uh, that I certainly get to con- uh, continue to chase after uh, different stories that I think all of you need to hear and some of it I need to hear. Either way, uh, they're looking for people and what makes them different, their words, seven days on, seven days off, uh, schedule, 12-hour shifts, no night shift, no on call. So basically you work half the month, but get paid for the whole thing. And they also offer their traditional five and two schedules for installers. They got great, great benefits, awesome wages, great team, uh, and not to mention uh, they're not going to put you through any BS. They're looking for plumbers, HVAC techs, installers, and apprentices. Just go to guardianplumbing.ca where, of course, you can you can look at what they got. You can probably contact them. And, of course, you can schedule your next appointment at any time. The Deer and Steer Butchery, uh, you know, uh, they're the butcher shop here in the Lloydminster area. They are, uh, you know, open for business. So, certainly, if you got an animal, you need to get them in, get them butchered. Uh, certainly, give them a call, 780-870-8700. Uh, I was also, I would also say... Uh, if you, uh, you know, you want to learn some practical skills, you can, uh, get in there, work with, uh, their team and carve up the animal yourself as well, which I think is like super cool. Once again, I've been talking about this for a few weeks because, uh, I'm heading back in there here in April. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure to post a few, uh, pictures on uh, social media so that people can uh, see my handiwork, which I'm sure won't be anything glorious. But, uh, you know, I just don't get opportunities to do that, you know, and to square away half a day and, and go out there and and uh, meet with the team and get a, you know, and for me, get around the deer and steer a little bit more is exactly what it's all about. But for you, the consumer, the, the customer, if you want to get your meat, uh, you know, get your animal butchered and then go have a uh, play a part in it. I think that's super cool. I, I encourage everyone to do that. So that's 780-870-8700 to uh, get the deer and steer butchery. And that here is here in the Lloydminster uh, area. Three trees, tap and grill. You know, what's funny. I just asked, we got our U7 hockey uh, uh, group and we had to buy a couple gift cards. And I said, oh, what's your favorite restaurant? 
three trees. And I'm like, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I mean, there's a lot of great restaurants in town, but as twos would say, few have as good a food as three trees. I always point to the live music. And if you're going to take them for me, the missus out, you know, uh, but significant other out and uh, enjoy a night, three trees is, uh, it's got a nice little feel to it. Uh, and it's a beautiful restaurant. So give them a call, reserve, reserve your spot, 780-874-7625 and tell Jimbo, well, Jim, I sent you, all right? That'd be, <laughs> if you haven't met Jim yet, I'm sure you will, and you'll understand when he walks around because he talks to everybody to see how it's going. Erickson Agro Inc. in Irma, Alberta. That's Kent and Tasha Erickson. They're a family farm raising four kids, growing food for their community and this great country. And, of course, uh, Irma, I keep uh, saying it, they they reached out. They wanted to team up with the SMP and uh, just enjoy what I'm doing. Hey, and I appreciate them uh, making their way to Edmonton for the last SMP Presents Legacy Media. And if you're out there looking to uh, team up with the SMP, just uh, hit me up, show notes. There's a phone line, shoot me a text, and I will do my best to get back to you ASAP so we can see if there's a place for, uh, you know, you and me to work together. Gartner Management, they're a Lloyd Mr. Bay's company specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs. Uh, you know, if you're looking for a little office, multiple offices, uh, give Wade Gertner a call, 780-808-5025. Now, let's get on to that tail of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals, delivering to your farm, commercial, or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at hancockpetroleum.ca. <laughs> She's a policy analyst and strategist with Warshield, an indigenous policy and government relations firm, and has written for the National Post. I'm talking about Jennifer Lewitz. So buckle up. Here we go. This is Jennifer Lewitz, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Lewitz. So first off, Jennifer, thanks for uh, hopping on. Yeah, good morning. Now, I've, uh, you know, it's it's funny. We the, the the long story of Twitter and and the podcast is like I run into these people all the time. And then uh, years ago, I, I I got the gumption to invite this guy named Quick Dick McDick on. And um, at the time, I thought it was like a great idea. But as it got closer, I thought, this is a terrible, terrible idea. Why are you doing this, Sean? And then, of course, I've, you know, uh, Quick Dick's become a pretty good friend. And 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 through Twitter now, I've met so many fascinating people. So anyways, uh, um, me and Quick Dick got talking about you one day. And he's like, oh, you want to have her on? I'm like, um, uh, yeah, maybe. And he's like, well, here's a number. Give her a text. I'm like, okay. Well, that's that's an easy way to go. That's my, my story. But uh, um, uh, this Twitter world is interesting. And uh, you're just another uh, putting a face to a name now, I guess, is on, on this side, Jennifer. Yeah. I mean, I I assume you uh, you have kind of like similar stories because you came to Lloyd for when Quick Dick was on stage with me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I was there. What did you think of that? I I I I feel terrible. You know, uh, Tuz asked me before I came on. He's like, "Oh, did you talk to her?" I'm like, "Well, no. I I don't know who I talked to after that show. You run around, you shake hands, you you pretty much try and exit gracefully because my brain's kind of fried. But uh, what did you think of the 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 show in Lloyd back in that was November, wasn't it? Yeah, you know what? I actually thought it was hilarious. Um, it was nice to be able to get together in a group like setting like that. 
um, for the first time in a while. I have family from Lloyd, so I was there anyway. And um, I had spoke to Quick Dick about going. And so, yeah, I showed up and I kind of recognized twos, but like, like we follow each other on Twitter, but like, I don't want to be weird. So I'm like, I'll just stick here by myself. And like, and I, you know, I, sometimes I don't think that maybe people don't recognize me out in public. Cause I, you know, I'm trying to get more personable on Twitter with like posting pictures and stuff like that. But yeah, so it was a little bit awkward, but. I don't think anyone would, uh, um, no, it's funny you say that. Cause it's like, um, me being on this, being a, I, as everybody knows, is on Twitter. It's not like I'm the most active guy. I I just kind of uh, you know um, creep a little bit. I kind of just follow what everybody's saying and try and get my news and and then try and find some people that I find have very interesting thoughts to bring them on here to you know kind of open them to a different world, I guess. And uh, certainly lots of people until they come to the show. I mean, now it's now I'm kind of everywhere because of the the video and everything. But for a long time, I, a lot of people would just be like that voice. Is that you're Sean? I'm like, I am Sean. Nice to meet you. Nice to see who you are. And uh, Twitter is interesting um, because like, you know, Quick Dick in particular, obviously he'd done videos or even twos for that matter until he started coming on. You kind of have a sense of who they are, but you never hear them speak. So you all you hear is like little snippets and it's kind of, I don't know, it's interesting to me, right? So it's always interesting to do one of these and you're like, I have no idea what today is going to bring. Yeah, I um. I started doing like Twitter spaces um, probably when Twitter actually first launched them, maybe not so much anymore, but they were, they were a way to connect, especially through like the conservative leadership and other things like that. So um, I feel like people kind of got a way to get to know me that way too. What have you thought about? Uh, that's one thing I don't know if I've ever done one, which is kind of funny. You'd think like I've just hop on Twitter. I, I don't know. Have, have you enjoyed that? Some of the best, most interesting conversations the pleb has put on, and like I've hopped in just because there's so much, he gets some of the, not strangest people, that isn't the right way, Sean, but I mean, just like very polar opposites in a room yelling at each other. And you're like, this is kind of strange, but kind of interesting. What what has been your um, thought process on a Twitter space? And then have you enjoyed it? You know, I've been on a lot of um, just regular like Canadian poly spaces. So one's just talking about like the news of the day in Canadian politics. And it's a good way to have, you know, nuanced conversations outside of our little Twitter bubble. Um, I noticed that Twitter, especially you can't read someone's attitude through a tweet. So once you bring it to a space and you can actually have that conversation, you know, there's been people that you know, have followed me after a Twitter space where they might be on the opposite end of the political spectrum, but they're like, Hey, you know what, you can have a nuanced conversation, you know, you're respectful, this and that. So, you know, they, they end up following me and, and we get along great, but um, there are some spaces where it gets heated very, very quickly. And people are, we're, we're at a crazy time in politics right now. So it, it doesn't shock me that people get upset. So you um, have you developed thick skin or did you always have it? Because Twitter Man, I, this is why I, I try to like. I come on here, and if you're if you're gonna get mad at Sean, you're gonna at least listen to what he's trying to say and spit out and see what I've done for you know how many episodes. I think you're four hundred five now. Ooh, I can't believe it's into the four hundreds. Anyways, um, it's like you want to hear what I have to say on lots of different things. We try and bring people on and 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 you know, ho hopefully uh, provide some uh, in depth uh, conversation. One of the things about Twitter is like it gets so emotionally charged so freaking fast. 
that uh, at the end of it, half the time, it's just people yelling back and forth. Or I assume that's what it is, right? But like you say, you you can't really tell what a person's, uh, their tone and everything through a text. But I, I, I think there's some, you know, like, obviously I have twos on, and twos does an interesting job on Twitter. Did you always have that ability, or is that something you've uh, kind of, like, um, had to learn? Um. I'm still learning. Twitter is, it's a very volatile place when it wants to be. And I don't just get to come in as like a political talking head. I also come in with my identity of being a First Nations person and, you know, being on the end where I continuously have to justify why I vote the way I do and why I think the way I do. And, you know, they don't attack me just for my political opinions. Most of the time, the people that attack me actually come after my identity. And that's, that's really difficult because for me, it's hard not to take that personally when, you know, they, they attack you, but it's like they forget that the trauma walks with me and my life history doesn't just get erased on Twitter. And I always think of that one speech, um, the man in the arena speech, where if you're mm. not in the arena getting your ass kicked with Rose- me, Roosevelt, yep, do not care about your opinion. So it, uh, it sits uh, above, uh, well, it's in our room. I look at it. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say I read it every morning, but any day I'm having a tough day, uh, that quote uh, gives me some some peace. That's my wife's uh, favorite one. So that sits in the bedroom. That's a good quote. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so when you say they attack you, I, I actually, you know, I'm, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to get you 15 minutes in and people are going to wonder who you are, I, but I'm going to finish my thought and then I'm, I'm, I got to get you to kind of give us a little background. But when they attack you, you're saying they attack you because you're indigenous, you're a woman and what else? Um, mostly just that, like, yeah. Are they real people? Um, yeah, actually, there's been a few that have come at me with fairly large accounts. And, you know, I get Twitter DMs where there was one where she's a volunteer for the Liberal Party. And it didn't take long for my followers to figure out who it was. And they were sending me DMs. And they were like, this is who that person is. And it's like, it does not take long to find who uh, who people are on the internet. And, you know, like, I would never go to the lengths of publicly humiliating someone and being like, I know exactly who you are. But at the same time, I'm like, I just I wish you the best, but leave me alone. It's funny. I, I, I always like when you get in an argument with somebody, if you defeat me in the argument, like you have a compelling argument, I'm all for it. But when you attack somebody, you know when you start using really vulgar language and stuff and you're attacking the person, not the argument anymore, that's the problem we have right now. Like over and over and over and over and over again, like COVID put that on absolute steroids. Wasn't, it wasn't the facts anymore. It was, you attack the person and maybe the, you know, Sean always said, I'm like, I might just be naive. Maybe this has been going on for ever. Right. And some people are more gifted at um, controlling their emotions. So they don't go to that level. But uh, that makes zero sense to me. You know, like, uh, uh, you know, and I hear Rogan say it all the time. Like people who who do that to you uh, online, ninety nine point nine percent chance they'd never do it to your face. You know, like it's it's I don't know. It seems so low. Like I don't even know. You know, and how does that garner any following on it? On I'm, I'm looking for, you know, when somebody puts on Twitter something that makes me think. I'm like, oh, I mean, like Quick Dick's a, a magician at it with his little videos, right? Just finds a way to put the, the the context into like eight minutes or less. Heck, sometimes a minute or less. That is a special talent. We need more of that, not less of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Well, here, uh, you know, we're, we're, I follow you on Twitter, which is, 
its own your weird, unique world. Uh, a lot of people listening aren't going to have, you know, they come from across Canada into the States. You get the point. Um, how about a little background? I, wherever you want to go, Jennifer, you, you give her, uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, your background, your makeup, uh, like uh, where you come from, all that good stuff. Go as long or as short as you like. Yeah, I hate talking about myself. I feel like I need to do more of it because people just really don't know who I am. Um, I'm from Saskatchewan, obviously. Of course, um, like the best <laughs> province in the world. And I live in yeah, Alberta now and I love Alberta, but I mean, come on. Anyways. <laughs> um, from a First Nation community in Southern Saskatchewan, but I live in Northern Saskatchewan and this is where I work and live and raise my kids and the whole thing. Um, went to the University of Saskatchewan for almost 10 years, started out and taking my Bachelor of Education uh, once I got to the end, was like, you know what, I don't want to teach. Um, I took one political science class as an elective in my fourth year, and I was hooked. I wanted to make a difference. Uh, no one at the time believed in me, and they thought I was crazy. Um, so didn't go into teaching, went directly into another degree, went and took um, my Bachelor of Arts in Political Science, um, took two proficiency certificates, global citizenship. Um, that one still don't really know what like why it was important but the other one I took was um, indigenous governance and politics so studying why self-government is important and how to make it happen um, and then got accepted into graduate and postdoctoral studies at the University of Saskatchewan with a focus on public policy um, some of my research areas have been like the water crisis policy I'm a policy nut that's my thing um married a guy from the country from north of prince albert fell in love um we have two kids together uh that we raise here um a teenager and a six-year-old so it's quite it's quite the household um yeah i worked in federal politics for over five years and then joined the consultation realm last year uh so that was a new kind of a new um gig for me and now I work directly with nations. Um, so working every day on things that affect First Nations people directly, um, some important things there. And yeah. Well, then I'm going to I'm going to start with with the one that Tuz and I talk about all the time because I can't figure it out. And then, of course, I've had and it's water. It's uh, Jocelyn, Ber Jocelyn Berziak, Sundance Construction on Twitter. I've had her on so many times and they uh that one hurts my head. I, I it's it's like there's an issue. I think I'm gonna say 95 percent of Canadians would agree it's an issue, and nobody understands it. Why? You know that the idea is well, just throw. If I had an answer for Sean two years ago, I'd been like, well, let's just throw some money at it and get it done. Then you talk to Jocelyn and what's going on. And you're like, oh, this is strange. Um, in your mind, like, what is going on with the, with First Nations and water, and why is it? that it's so bungled? Why is it that, you know, like in where we're at in society today, why this isn't a non-issue? Like, why isn't it just like by the end of this year, just done? You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, that's a good question. Jocelyn's obviously going to be the one that understands the technical side of it a lot more. I kind of come from the policy end of it. Um, so looking at the data and being able to analyze it is where I come in. Um, one of the biggest issues, there's a couple, and that is the fact that we are going to have to accept the fact that there are going to be communities that are extremely difficult to get water to. And that was done on purpose. Unfortunately, when the government of Canada mm -hmm. moved First Nations out of the way for the highway and the railway, um, they put them in secluded areas. And now we have to deal with that. Um, and another issue is that 
some of the infrastructure getting it to those communities is extremely difficult um and i think one of the biggest issues that we're seeing now is that the liberal government came in and actually started talking about it which was a big change from the harper years but canadians especially liberals like to forget that just because we're doing a little bit of a better job doesn't mean we're doing an amazing job and it's often like you know even as a first nations person i come in and i'm like hey this is where the government is still failing because i see it happen and they throw the graph at me we like there's a whole group of indigenous people that laugh at that graph where um liberals will come in and they'll be like here's the graph we're doing amazing and what's on that what's graph, the what's the graph it's a graph that's from the directly from the government of canada website that outlines how many long-term boil water advisories there are it is it can be widely inaccurate for a multitude of reasons um one of them is that right now it says that there's no long-term boil water advisories in british columbia for example so i made a tweet one day and i'm like here's what's actually happening in, happening in british columbia used a first nation organization health authority in bc gave the data of myself i was like here you go these are all the boil water advisories currently in bc but if you read the auditor general report the last one i was able to analyze was from 2021 there were multiple issues that they outlined from the Liberal government. And some of those were that they were putting in infrastructure that was not sustainable and was um, destined to fail. The risk management system from 2015 to now hasn't changed. Um, and it even said in there that they were essentially putting Band-Aid solutions on things to check them off the list. And, you know, I have communities nearby me where they're not on those lists, but the people there are still getting beaver fever four times a year. And, but all these people that live in the suburbs of Ontario or in the GTA, they don't understand the disconnect is there. So it's almost like swimming against water, trying to educate these people on what the actual reality is. How, okay, I'm, this is going to be, this has been like one of the largest questions Sean has chewed on and has never got remotely close to an answer. Okay. I'm reading, I'm, I'm, I'm completely changing a little bit of the script here because I'm reading, um, I went to, uh, Frenchman Butte museum. So if you're in this area, folks, um, paradise hill country. And, uh, from there, one of the old, they got all these great, uh, books that have been written about things that are in our area. One of them was big bear. I asked the guy, what book would be the best to read? He said, you should read Big Bear. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, it has been a fascinating book. Um, but it has taken me time. I don't know why. I just can't get through it all. It's only 200 pages. It's not even that long. But just the amount of uh, patience that man had is beyond compare. Anyways, this is, we're talking 18... I forget what the last year, eight, eight, mid 1800s, 1850 to 1880, let's just say somewhere in that range. And the systematic way they, they just, they just draw out pushing his people into an area. Like when you say, uh, they moved him out of the way for the, the railways and everything. Um, I guess I'd never thought about it like that. I do to me when I, when I see it, it's like they wanted them up out of the way that was inconvenient so that they wanted to um, assimilate into our, our culture. And they made life really, really, really miserable. Like women dying, children dying, people starving, families tearing apart, blah, 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 blah. You get the point. My question is how, how do you fix something that is, is like unfixable? Like we're talking a hundred and, 
hundred and like, I don't know, 150. You, you know, the history better than I probably ever will. 150, 200 years. I, I don't know. And I, I look at the water thing. Cause I'm just like, I mean, like one of the basic necessities of life is water. Let's just fix this. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand, but it, it bleeds into this much larger issue of like, how do we bring people together instead of always being apart? And, uh, I'm not one for government uh, solutions because I've seen how they approach things and I just disagree with a lot of it. Doesn't mean there isn't good that comes of it. There certainly is. Um, but I found uh, with uh, with Ottawa when I went and saw like all these different diverse people come together under the same banner. I'm like, how do we do this more instead of less? And I don't know if there's an answer to that, Jennifer, but I am curious your thoughts. Um, I think we're actively working on that. I think if you look at the the broad term of reconciliation that's what we're we're trying to do um obviously there's still there's still a lot of healing to be done and i you know i'm just one single person i can't speak for anyone else especially um you know my people especially i will never speak on behalf of them but i think i think it's a learning process and in our culture we we look ahead at seven generations and right now you know that's my biggest focus is what can i do differently to make life easier for my kids and make them um, have an easier time. You know, I, you know, I wasn't raised by my mom and dad. So there's a lot of things, even me as a, like, as an adult now, I have to learn just to pass on. I have to learn, you know, how to be a parent when, you know, I never had a mom or dad around. You know, I wasn't raised with all of my siblings under one roof because of the foster care system. So there's a lot of things I have to learn differently. And I guess just doing it in a holistic and healing way so that my kids don't have to carry those burdens to hold against their fellow Canadians. You know, like I, I feel the onus is on me to, to try and heal and, and I don't want to say let things go, but just to do my best at looking forward to the future so that we don't have to keep reliving these things over and over again. If as long as you're okay with me prying, um, mm -hmm. why weren't you raised by your parents? Um, I was actually apprehended when I was a baby. So yeah, I actually uh, am one of the 60 scoop people. I uh, went through the class action lawsuit and everything. And it was up to kids taken from their homes up to 1996. And I was one of those kids. So um, you got my hair, like parent, <laughs> three kids. Uh, when you say apprehended, can you can you uh, speak to me like I'm a moron? Because at times I am. Can you really just lay that out? What What do you mean? I just I actually just had Matricia Bauer on. Jeez, what was that a month ago? And she was talking about the sixty scoop and how she was mm -hmm. a part of of that. And I'd never heard that before. So um, when you talk about being apprehended, like how old are you, Jennifer? You don't look that old. I'm in my thirties. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I would have been. And I know the cardinal sin years. is never ask a woman her age, folks. But mm -hmm. I, I'm curious. Okay, so th we're talking like, like late eighties, early nineties. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um. Okay. Apprehended. Please walk me through this. Yeah. So just apprehended just means that social services came in and they took us from our home. And granted, you know, there was trauma interwoven there with my parents as to why they couldn't raise us properly at the time um and i know like if my mom is watching this she's not gonna be happy that i'm talking about it but um the issue is is that we were placed well me specifically for sure um in a non um indigenous household and the problem there is you break that culture when you do that so luckily later on in life i was able to um, recover from that and was eventually raised by my grandparents and 
you know, but those ties to my dad's side of the family were kind of severed. And now even as an adult, I'm still fixing them and I'm still, you know, trying to actively participate in my culture. And it's, it's tough. It's tough. You, you never come back from that. So I've always had the thought. So, um, we had, uh, um, a little personal info here for for folks who maybe don't know this. Uh, I don't know if I've ever talked about adoption, but um, our plan once upon a time was to have two kids of our own and then to adopt. And so after we'd had our daughter, we started actively looking into adoption. And one of the things I couldn't, you know, and maybe it's changed from now, so I don't want to get everybody worked up. Uh, but at the time, they'd said since we had biological children, the opportunity to actually adopt was going to be extremely low. Um, they wanted children to go to people who are struggling to have kids. And my thought at that time was I was really surprised by that because I thought if you have children who are in a rough house or whatever the circumstances is, even a woman who just doesn't want to parent the baby, right? Wants to give it up right at, um, you know, birth. I was like, shouldn't we be looking for the best households for those children to go in? But then you bring up the the cultural side, and that's one of the things I you know I still don't understand because I'm like, what would be better, a, a a house where your culture maybe stays intact, or a healthy home where you're fed and, and you know cared for and everything else? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I know at that time I was really surprised. I was I was just like, oh, I thought this would be way easier process because we're just you know looking to give some child a better opportunity or chance at least that's where my brain was at back then yeah like i uh, well there's a different difference between adoption and foster care right like it's there's fair, not as many kids and yeah there's more kids in foster care and not unfortunately you know even being a child that was once in foster care it's more difficult for people to want to take those kids in because you never know when they're going to leave and that's you know foster care has been one of those things that has went through my mind you know even being a former child of the ward where but at the same time, I don't think I could ever handle bringing a child into my home and then having them taken away. Like, it's difficult to to fathom that, although the ultimate goal is for those parents to be able to get, you know, to heal and do what they need to do so that they can eventually raise their kids. That's, um, how old were you when you went through the foster system then? Oh, I probably would have been apprehensive. I would have been less than a year old because it was me and two of my siblings and my oldest brother was already with my grandparents, so. Uh, and and how many siblings do you have? I'm the youngest of four, but my sister passed away in 2018. Oh, you've <laughs> had some interesting turns in life, and I don't mean that yeah. in a, a, a comical sense. Just in in like, uh, I, I got four older siblings, so there's five of us, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I always think we've been very fortunate that um, all of us have, uh, you know, I don't know. There's some t- you know, you have that stage when you're 18 to probably. 25 i think there's even statistics maybe it's men 16 to 25 where they go through a stage where they're just like i'm gonna do a lot of stupid shit and uh i hope i survive you know it's it's a tough and i I assume women it it probably isn't as long because you probably mature way quicker than all of us but uh, at the same time um you know there's uh there's an interesting stage in life there when you talk about the four siblings i'm just curious did you all get separated then two different foster homes or it was a different process than that? Yep. I went to one. Um, We actually spent a great deal of time in the hospital because uh, to put it as shortly as possible, not to get too far into it, we were not in good shape when we were apprehended. So I went to me and my two siblings went into the hospital for a very, very long time. 
Um, and then I went into a foster home, the twins went into a foster home, and then my oldest brother was with my grandparents. And then inevitably, what ended up happening is through like some court battles and stuff like that, me and my oldest brother ended up with my grandparents. And then the, the two twins, the middle ones, went with my grandpa's sister. Hmm. That's, um, I just think of uh, like, uh, all the happy times I can think of was always with my siblings, you know, like you just, I don't know, that's how you learn and grow. I mean, especially as the youngest one, right? Like you, you just like, you, you mimic everything they do and you wrestle and you play and you everything else. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I, uh, anytime I have somebody on, I'm like, ah, I hate to dig too deep into, uh, past things because, uh, some of it's, um, uh, you know, uncomfortable to talk about even from my side like i i, I get to open it up on different things so um no that's i don't know enough about uh all the different scoops and all the different things you know in first nation i think it's one of the things that uh, i'm trying to do better on like i'm trying to read and learn and, and figure out some things but i'm also trying to be like we have to figure out how we're moving out of some of this stuff because at the same time uh, it doesn't matter the color of your skin or anything else at some points. We're all being attacked the same bloody way by our own government. And it's just like, what are we doing? You know, I, from a First Nation standpoint, were you excited to have Trudeau as your uh, prime minister? And then at what point in time, if you were excited, did you go, what is this guy doing? Um, no. I have been not a fan of Trudeau, but again, I'm politically active. So I knew, I knew who he was. Um, I knew kind of, for me, I'm, I'm more of a realist and, and sometimes pessimistic a little bit about politics, but I, I guess you could say that I kind of foreseen what was about to happen. And at the same time, there were so many grievances with Stephen Harper that it was hard for anyone really especially amongst the indigenous people to continue justifying his leadership so people were like yeah trudeau's coming in it's gonna, everything's gonna be great and i'm like okay and for someone that understood what his father was like to western canada um i inevitably see, like could see what was coming when you mention uh grievances with harper um we um I am not a political nut. Well, I mean, some would say I am now, but, uh, you know, certainly I, I joke up until I had kids, I was kind of in and around the country, out of the country, back in, then you have kids and then you start thinking about things a little more out in the future. And, uh, and certainly it timed in with Trudeau getting elected since then I've been paying more and more and more and more attention. But when you mention Harper, what were the grievances that were coming up at the end? I think it'd be good for people, especially myself that, you know, didn't weren't really paying attention to things you know yeah i'll try to explain this as best as i can and this is a conversation i have amongst conservatives a lot um harper was he was fiscally um he sat on his fiscal fence post and he very seldom wanted to move from it his goal of the country was to just keep it in um a healthy fiscal way right but when it came to first nations issues uh the jobs and growth act was going to make certain amendments to the Indian Act and essentially just make projects in Canada fair game without proper consultation with First Nations. Uh, the Crown has a duty to consult with First Nations. It's an inherent right, it's in our treaties, you have no choice. Um, so that kicked off a social movement and as someone that studied social movements, I was shocked at how much I don't know more rippled across this country. Um, I don't know more, you know, they started out with just doing round dances in malls, they started out with a Facebook page, and eventually, Indigenous people across the country were like, stop Harper. 
uh, vote ABC, anyone but conservative. And those grievances are still there. They're still there. No matter how much work the conservatives do to try to, you know, work with First Nation communities and build that consultation, build those bridges, we can't move past it. And it's difficult um, because, you know, you see, you see the Liberal government come in and make all these promises for First Nations. But, you know, I, I look at the jobs that we have in, um, in Canada with the resource sector. You know, now you hear, well, Indigenous people don't want resource development. They want to hold it up. They want to hold it up. No, they don't. There's 65% of Indigenous people want resource development in some form. If you go to northern Saskatchewan, who's working in those mines? It's Indigenous people. You know, we saw 23 communities buy into the Embrace pipeline deal. But when you don't have consultation, you leave a window of opportunity open for, you know, communities to be, I guess, have environmental activists latch onto them. Well, Wet'suwet'en doesn't want this. And then you see celebrities like Leonardo DiCaprio latching on to these issues because our government, right, even right now, they're not consulting with anybody. They're saying they are, but they're not doing it on health. They didn't do it with Bill C-21. They didn't do it with the emissions cap. They're not doing it, but they're just taking a hard approach where they're, they're anti-resource development and they're using, it again, Indigenous communities to prop that up. So they're just on the other side of things. Harper was on one side, Liberal government's on the other. There is no common middle ground on any of this. And all we know is that our resource sector is being shut down and there's no conversation happening. So, The more you stare at politics, you mentioned you're cynical. And I, I chuckled at that because the more I stare at it, I'm like, you know what really bothers me? Is they pander. They pander to everyone. Every 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 party does it. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I keep you keep using the word indigenous. I keep saying First Nations. Does it matter? Yes, because First Nations, like I'm First Nations and I'm also Indigenous, but Indigenous is a broad term for Inuit Metis and First Nations. Oh, so Indigenous is the word I should be using. Fair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at some point, it just has to drive indigenous people's nuts when they see people basically pander to them saying, we're going to do this. Meanwhile, they never do it anyways. And just like they pander to the Quebecers, just like they pan, they just do this over and over and over again. And I feel like maybe I'm wrong. I feel like we're maybe getting just a smidge smarter across all groups. We're like, uh, why are they doing that? Why don't they just say what they're going to do? And and we'd probably all vote for that, except it is innately in all of them that that's the way you win an election. So is there a way, do you think, I hate to suggest a new party because I just, I'm not really in the mood for that. But if you ever had a party come out and just be like, listen, this is the way it is and this is what we're going to do. And, and, do you think that can ever work? Or the, the cynical side of you says that ain't working any time. This system is way too big and everything else. Um, I feel you and I don't want to deal with any more parties. Uh, at the same time, I think we're just becoming like we saw it with the liberal government, like government get even bigger. And it's so frustrating because now we're seeing at the trickle down effect where they can't manage the government because it's big the departments aren't running effectively and everything in between. Um, I think in hindsight, it sounds really good to have a party that's like, this is just what we're going to do. But at the same time, there's a process. And I think process is necessary. Like even with the conservatives, their convention is coming up and 
policy will be put forward by grassroots members across the country. Um, that's why you're not going to see any policy out of the party yet because that hasn't been done. Um, and those to some people might be like, oh, so just to say what you're going to do. It's like, but how do you just do that without consulting with the grassroots members as to what they want? Well, it's, in my mind, that should be ongoing all the time. I, I, right. Like, I don't think you should have one convention. And I, once again, if this isn't the way it works, just put me back in my place. But to me, to have a weekend where everybody comes in and we write some public policy, I'm like, uh, no, that probably should never stop. You should probably be listening to what the people are saying all the time. That's your job. And, um, you know, but once again, like when you talk about the size of government, you see all the things you're doing and the fact they just keep doing it. You're like, as a common layman just sitting here watching this play out and having no idea of all the what politics was about and hearing the different stories i just don't get it and the longer it goes on the more you go they don't care um this is probably the way it's been done for a very long time so they don't see anything wrong with it and uh truthfully if the population doesn't come together and unite on a common thing then they kind of get to do what they want anyways Right. Like they just because none of us can, you know, we it's hard to align. Me, me and Wayne Peters just talked about this when when COVID got to where um, it was just like, what are we doing? It, it didn't matter what side of the coin you're on. And then that coin of us and them was vaccinated, unvaccinated. It got to this point where even the majority of both sides just went. This is strange. Chris Barber, a guy from Saskatchewan, one of the leaders of the West Convoy, vaccinated trucker. I've heard him talk lots about how he always wore a mask into everywhere. He wasn't this big extremist. He was just a guy like our government has gone way too far. And everybody went there and united around one thing. And what happened within three weeks, everything's getting repealed. Everything's coming off because, oh, we went too far. And I'm like, how how can we do that again? How can we, you know, like if if we need to, uh, whether it's an indigenous issue or just an issue of all people, it's like, how do we bring people back? Well, we got to get on the same page, but how do we do that? I don't know. That's that's a that's a large question and something that the large government seems to just find ways to really get us all worked up on different things that I I don't know. It's like, what's the most pressing issue we have today? Let's talk about it. And I truly believe, and I could be wrong on this, Jennifer, and you can laugh at me, but I think majority of Canadians, if they could get directed the right way, we'd fix things real fast. Yeah, I think I think there's a number of issues that you brought up. Um, the first is, yes, can Canadians are tired. Um, maybe not all of them, because there's still a, a handful, a big handful that vote for the Liberal government that we currently have. But there are, there is a big population of people that are absolutely exhausted and you brought up some good points i actually wrote about that um in my last national post article um about how trudeau came to power on a message of unity but then divided the nation and it was so like as someone that has been involved for in politics as long as i have nothing is done by accident his comms weren't an accident calling an election at the height of delta wave was not an accident this party was absolutely campaigning on a pandemic and it was working. And what scared me during that time was just watching Canadians get so absolutely comfortable, just absolutely shitting on their fellow Canadians. Like, how, you know, you see polls in the media that's like, should we take healthcare away from Canadians? And I'm like, holy smokes. And people are getting comfortable saying that. And it just, it got to a point where, I was just, I would, yeah, 
I I had a, I tell this story from time to time because uh, I had a friend. I'm not going to use his name. Don't need to go there. But me and him had a conversation at the height of COVID. When, you know, they're calling it pandemic and unvaccinated, blah, 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 blah. And as everybody knows, I didn't go down. Uh, I went my way and he went his way. And what he was saying at the time was, I don't think you should be allowed in the hospital. I pushed him hard enough that I got him to say that. And I was like, wow. Okay. Like I was, I was shocked. Cause I kind of, I was watching everything you were watching. I'm like, I wonder if this is actually how people are thinking. And, um, still great friends with him today this is you know uh cause he called me an hour later and he's like i don't know why i said that like i have honestly i don't think that i i'm he's like i'm, I'm like i can't believe it came out of my mouth and i'm like well in fairness i was pushing on you pretty hard right like i was you know we were going back and forth and um like there was a moment in canada where you know they're talking about quarantine facilities they're talking about building quarantine facilities they're literally talking that you shouldn't be allowed in hospitals you shouldn't like when i say it out loud again i'm like we got to an insane level you know um and uh and yet we diverted diverted averted uh disaster and you come out and you go i see a lot of hope because i know deep down most canadians don't think those things but when you sit and listen to how you know, I, I, we'll crap, I'll crap on the liberal government for a bit, like how they did that, us versus them. And you talk to military guys and they say all great atrocities that they've ever been a part of start with an us versus them conversation. It's like, okay, well, let's not do that. Let's find ways to bring people together so that we can, uh, you know, like, I don't know what utopia looks like. I don't even know if we'd ever want to go there, but we can make things better. And uh, certainly when it comes to... um one of the biggest us versus them, it has been, uh, I don't know, what, what, what is this side? What, the European colonialism to the First Nations uh, um, that have been across this, you know, indigenous peoples that have been across this country. That's been a, a long, you know, like, but how do you take out the us versus them and just put it back to Canadians, allowing for culture and everything to have its place and and. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I've gone full circle all the way back around to this question again. Yeah, I think I think it really brought out the worst in people. And then you put politics in the middle of it and it became a driving issue that people were able to utilize to feel the way they feel and then justify it. Um, you know, like I when the pandemic first started, rightfully so, everyone was worried. And I don't hold it against anyone how that was handled in the very beginning because it was so new to everyone that literally no one knew what to do. Like we were doing crazy things, right? Like washing down our groceries and whatever. Yeah, I don't blame anyone like for how things were handled at the very beginning because I think the concept of the pandemic was new to everybody. But enough time had passed where even in like the election in 2021, we were getting to a point of just it was evident that we were using it um, as a driving issue. Um, I like, I just, I really stayed in the middle of the whole conversation. I mean, as someone like I'm immunocompromised, I showed up, I got vaccinated. I, you know, it is what it is. Um, I've had COVID a couple of times, actually. I avoided COVID for a couple of years, but I just, I watched kind of people on both sides. Like it wasn't just like the pro vaccine people that were, you know, kind of being an issue at the time. There were like, I had a couple people even on Facebook that were like, if you got vaccinated, just delete me. And it was like, 
this is the point we got to as Canadians, right? Like people were just upset with each other and the government was not making it any easier. No, they were, they were dumping fuel on it. Absolutely. Just letting it burn, man. Let it burn. Mm -hmm. I put, I put that in my national post article that it was like watching gasoline be poured on a fire. Like it was just getting increasingly worse. And I even think even to where we are today is it's people are still just, there's there's trust issues now and it's created a whole wealth of issues well i have a, a buddy that i talked to about this um he's metis and um he's like you had your first taste of what indigenous people have dealt with for the last i don't know and once again i use 150 years and if i'm a little off i'm, I'm please correct me i i just I've, I've been reading big bear and it's just stuck in my brain of some of the things he went through and i'm like yeah this is this is wild. And I, I just can't believe how quickly things can turn on a group of people that have, you know, one shared thing, right? Like, I mean, if you didn't do it, you have w whatever your reason was. It, it, this isn't religion. This isn't uh, um, a color of your skin thing. Like, it, it's it's just you didn't do one thing. You're in this group now and we're going to come after you. And he's like, well, I mean, go read some history on on. Uh, on the indigenous peoples of Canada and see, and see what they went through. And I'm, well, okay. So obviously Sean's been doing a little bit of that and having these conversations. Cause I find it, um, fascinating is the word I'm going to use, but like very troubling is probably the better word. Like, uh, to what, what governments are capable, um, of co over the course of history. And I think we'd be naive to think they can't do something similar if the population wills it. And uh, when we talk these stories, that's how close we got. So it's like, well, how do we never, ever ever get back to that ever right i don't want anyone to have to do that how do you create where it's strong because if you're not divided like they can't they can't do anything right like what are they going to do if we're all like no or whatever to uh to to where we move from here that's where i want to be i want to be strong communities strong you know like uh, and i assume that's a uh an indigenous value as well is that they want to have the strong community and provide jobs and, and safe places for their kids and families and everything else. I assume that's something that we all want. Yeah, there's, there's a level of understanding that needs to happen um, in, in order to be and to stay united. And, you know, I think, especially amongst our Indigenous communities, you, you need a strong community, you need it. Um, but amongst Canadians as well, like I, I know it's really difficult to get really upset with people. And I know maybe I'm the drop in a bucket and I won't make that much of a difference, you know, here on earth, but it just being understanding and seeing all different sides of how people feel helps bridge that gap to not divide further. Then that's the work that I'm going to do. And you know, maybe maybe people don't agree with me. Maybe they think that there was no room for understanding when it came to vaccines. But at the same time, that's that's their business. I chose to go the empathetic route. I chose to be the understanding route. You know, I, I had no interest in losing friends. And, you know, I came in as someone who was immunocompromised. I, I was scared. I was very scared in the beginning. I didn't want to get sick. You know, I'd been hospitalized with pneumonia before and struggling to breathe is not something I wish on anybody. But at the same time, I just... It wasn't worth it to me to spend my days just dehumanizing people and just making them feel awful and capitalizing off of fear and division. And I just, I had no interest in it. And if being the understanding one is what, you know, helps even a group of 10 people unite, then to me, that's, that's good enough. Well, I think uh, what 
all of us probably want more than anything is just somebody to listen, right? Because you got problems going on. Everybody's got something going on. And they just need uh, an ear or a shoulder or whatever to uh, to tell. And certainly if they see big problems coming, um, there was a, you know a portion of the Canadian population that grew and grew and grew the longer it went on. They got to a, a tipping point of where like, you're like, yeah, this probably needs to stop, right? Like life is, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it was an interesting, interesting time. I, I'm curious, you, you being, uh, I'm going to say a political nerd, you political nerd. Mm -hmm. What have you thought about the China, the CSIS, everything coming out? Like, I mean, it's just another thing on the old, uh, um, um, resume of trudeau's government i mean like there has been how many different scandals go on and nothing seems to uh um stick and then this this one on handong and then i saw his like uh letter he's suing uh global and uh, for defamation and, and different things like that and you read his brief little story about where they escaped china and things like that and you're like <sighs> so where do you sit on this you've probably been following this uh you know since day one I think that there's a number of issues. I think the Liberal government has lost trust in a majority of the people that don't vote for them, uh, right? There's a ton of Canadians that don't trust them. And now we're plagued with yet another issue. Uh, allegations of election interference, especially from China, is um, widely concerning. Um, and they almost kind of are like expecting us to give them the benefit of the doubt that everything is fine. Uh, Canadians were already skeptical before this. Why are you shocked that they're already labeling someone as guilty because they just they don't trust you they do not trust you so i when it comes to the allegations like i i read the press release this morning and and it's good it's um in the communication side of things uh he checked all the boxes he put in a personal story uh he ended it with saying i'm i'm innocent like whoever wrote that did a good job um you know, but at the same time, I think Canadians really need to start paying attention. And I try not to get too upset about this. But we, we have had an issue with nominations in this country for a long time. And it's not just with election interference. It's, it, it's even grassroots people, right? Like, you look at, um, you look at a safe riding, you know, I live in Saskatchewan, there's ridings here where they win with 70% of the vote. Winning the election isn't the hard part. It's winning the nomination. And if you're backed by any special interest groups, whether it be um, organizations that support you, whether it be religious organizations, I don't know, election interference, anything in between, we are then going to have candidates that really, you know, I'm sorry to say it probably didn't have to work that hard, but they had the outside help to push them where they needed to go. So and I, can, can, I, I, I want to make sure that uh, if, if there's not a political junkie on here, that I, I get what you, I believe I get what you're saying is... <laughs> What I said about China was interesting is they didn't actively send people to vote in the election. What the 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 thing was is you have your nomination. So here we have a UCP and I guess in this area you could be NDP, you could be whatever. And then you have the election and what's going to happen at the election? Everybody's going to vote. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm speaking uh, provincial now. Um UCP in this upcoming May election in our area is going to be like, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. We'll say 70, 80%. It's going to be high um, because everybody votes conservatives in it, uh, conservative in this area. So what you're talking about is the nomination for who's going to run for the UCP because it, you could put your name in for that. You could have 10 different people running for it and you have to get voted to be the leader of the UCP in the upcoming election. Correct? Right. So... 
Yes. And that's, that's the issue is when you have stronghold writings like this. And I know I've seen some liberals run with the talking points of like these allegations, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It didn't affect the actual election. It was the nomination. It doesn't matter when it affects the nomination and they get in, they're now a sitting member of our government with the capabilities of making decisions. And, you know, I, I hear people talk about, well, there has been a couple different political talking heads uh, come out saying, well, it didn't affect the outcome of the election. Okay, no, those seats probably stayed the same because they were stronghold ridings. So those seats might not have changed. But the people that got in those seats, if they were backed by election interference, that is a problem. You know, conservatives might not have won the election because there wasn't enough seats to be compromised. But if we have even one person sitting in government that was backed by election interference, that is too many. Yeah, it's it's brilliant, though. I, I My hat's off to them, you know, in a really weird way, right? Like, I'm like, so what they did is they looked at the map and they went, so, you know, I'm going to use I'm going to use uh, the United States as an instance. OK, you look at the map and everybody's probably seen this before where it's a sea of red and then you got a couple cities that are blue. Heck, I think in Alberta, we can think of the, a place that's orange, you know, uh, it's in a sea of blue. Uh, see a blue for us uh and what they like if you could win i don't know why i'm bouncing around i'll stick to alberta all right i'll stick to alberta see a blue with with edmonton being orange if you just look at it and go like the ndp have won these seats for the last i don't know five years five elections it's like well why don't we try and get nominated in as an ndp in their in there and and then voters just go out and cast votes and it's NDP and I mean don't get me wrong it is playing dirty but by the rules of Canada is that not legal right now and that's what you're saying like this needs to change but right now as it sits that's the the weakness they've identified and not just probably not probably not just China like just political nuts in general understand this it's very like underhanded because you're playing for the other team uh in order to do what you know it's uh, but that's what they're doing so how do you change that how do you stop that from happening um you get involved and a lot of people don't i know you know even in a a riding of you know 90 100,000 people um there could be less than a thousand conservative members and if that's a safe hold conservative riding where that member wins with 70% of the vote, but there's less than a thousand members that get to decide who that nomination is. That's, mm. you know, and it's, it's this a very what small percentage. This is what happened to Jason Kenney, right? They, they had the, um, the confidence vote and I had never owned a UCP membership in my life. And I went out and bought one as soon as I heard there was going to be a confidence vote uh, and I would have an opportunity to at least cast a ballot. And I was laughing. I'm like, there's 4.4 million roughly Albertans, 4.2 maybe somewhere in there. And certainly they're not all voting age, but it, there was a hundred, what was it? A hundred and, was it 120,000 folks? I think it was 120 some thousand folks uh, bought UCP memberships and voted on that to put Daniel Smith Oh, uh, well, A, sorry, to to have um, uh, the confidence vote. And then the it grew to 120,000, sorry, to vote for Daniel Smith. I'm butchering this a little bit. But when Daniel Smith and, and Travis Taves are up there, you're like, there should be a million votes on this right now. Like, if it's truly Alberta. Like, this is a wild thing 
for a hundred thousand people to vote in whoever they want. How much do you, you know, sitting in uh, PA, how much are you looking at the Alberta election coming up in May and going, this is really, really big for, for, for Canada. Or are you like, ah, conservatives are going to win this. And it's not a big deal. You know, I, I admit that I don't pay a ton of attention to like outside provincial elections. I obviously I'll be watching cause I'm a political nut, but I, I'm not super, um, educated on on what's going on outside of province my head's right in in the middle of federal politics so okay so then let's stick with federal what is the the biggest story you see happening right now that canadians should know about in federal politics uh the allegation interference for sure um the election interference and the allegations surrounding it i think if this isn't enough to entice people to want to get involved locally and start choosing who their candidates are then i don't know what is how how do we get people interested in politics? You know, on the wall, hockey guy. And in hockey, there, you know, certainly it, it is people are begging for them to stop being so political and taking, you know, just interjecting politics and social justice stuff into a, a sport where they just want to go and, and watch a sport. But, um, you know, like. One of the things uh, hockey programs always said is we're never going to talk about religion and and politics. And it's like, okay, so how do you entice people to want, you know, you, you think like to entice people into politics, well, it dictates your life. You should get involved because this is who's, but that doesn't seem to work. So how do you make it in a way, Jennifer, that people actually want to be involved in it? I think now uh, if we look at the voter turnout, uh, depending on your age, uh, young people have typically not showed up in numbers to vote as much as older people have. I think now with the crushing pressure of not being able to own a home and, you know, other things going wrong, inflation and taxes and everything in between, we're going to start just naturally enticing people to get involved. Um, I have a real grievance with people that don't care. I've been surrounded by people even in my own personal life where, you know, I understand that I'm I'm very passionate and sometimes my ADHD gets the best of me because being a political talking head and an ADHD at the same time, I'm like, why don't you care? But at the same time, you know, there's even been minor things in politics that I try to bring up with, you know, certain friends or certain people around me. And you could just tell that they could not care less. And I don't know, to me, it's, it's extremely frustrating because I'm like, it is what it is, I guess, but it's frustrating. I've always thought if you could create American Idol for your writing, you know, like, uh, and I'm a conservative, so liberals feel f- free to grab my, because to me, I just want good politicians, right? I want, I want somebody who, uh, you know, is the right candidate. I've always wondered if in my writing for next time, and for me, you know, here it's going to be UCP unless in the next four years, something really drastically changes of a way, because Garth will be, I assume after his second term, I assume he gets in, this is a lot of assumptions, folks. But I assume he gets in and it's like, okay, we have somebody new coming in. How do we go about creating something where you get the best people pushed forward and then an opportunity for them to be heard, seen by more people than just what the political nerds know where to go and how to see everything, you know, like, cause uh, by the time you get to an election, you have a couple debates where they kind of talk a little bit and you kind of get to understand who they are. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, 
you know, and certainly I'll probably try and interview a bunch. Right. But like, if it's only two guys, or it's only six guys and I don't even know where they come from. Like, how do we in your area, your community, how do you find the best so that they want to do it? that was always my idea on how to like get it maybe kind of like popular, not a game show, but you know, kind of like this is big. Like this is a big to do. Like these people have very important jobs. I don't think I realized how important they are until, you know, you have kids and you start staring at this and you know, there's certain, uh, uh, points in your life where you start to stare at things a little differently. Kids for me was certainly the one where you're like, we got to do this, but I don't know if that can work nationwide. I don't know how, how, how does a community, you know, foster an environment that is like, we're going to make politics cool for six months so that we can, we can get the right person to represent us. Yeah. I think that there's a multitude of ways that we could do that. Like American Idol is a little bit out there, but you know, depending on the organizations in the area, whether it be chambers or whatever it is, hosting political, uh, political idol, you know, on there. Can you imagine? Oh yeah. Barack Obama would have nailed it. Everybody would have been, you know, like he gets on stage, starts talking. You're like, who is this guy? Uh, I still remember the first time I ever saw him start talking. I'm like, who is this guy? Anyways, carry on. Um, for me, it should like the parties really need to crack down on their eligibility criteria for nominations. And again, I think if you're backed by anyone other than grassroots members that actually um, support you, then I don't think that you. How would I, I don't they know. know? How would they know? Um, if it just came out, like if you have an organization, like let's say I have an indigenous organization and you know, I'm not putting in any work or I haven't put in any work for five years or whatever. And an indigenous organization just starts, you know, rallying the troops and they're emailing and they're calling everybody and they're like, just show up and vote for her. It's like, how much have I earned to really get there? You know what I mean? Like for me, I, I, I like the old fashioned way of politics, get knocking on doors, phoning people yourself. Like I, you know, I've been asked numerous times if I plan to run and I still don't know the answer to that because right now working with Indigenous communities is the best place for me. Um, but I've spent the last, you know, five plus years just listening to Canadians, whether it be Twitter spaces or, you know, getting to know different people so that the issues that I could potentially represent one day, whether I decide to do that or not, are not just Indigenous issues. They're agriculture issues. They're Canadian issues. And I think that that's, that's important. And, you know, if my MP ever decides to retire, I would be shocked to see who decides to run. Cause as someone that's been out the last few elections, I haven't seen many other people that heavily involved to be able to put my full support behind them. I'd be like, where have you been? Hey, it's interesting though, because I, I start um, talking to people and I start, uh, you know, like um, certainly, you know, it's been four years for me, a little over four years of talking now, uh, on this show to different people. And certainly it's been, you know, the last year and a half, maybe two years where I started really digging into some different political things. Uh, certainly, but I feel like they're, they're sitting there like, I, I you know, like think of, think of us two, uh, you know, uh, I didn't know who the heck you were until, uh, you came to the show and, uh, quick Dick talked to me about you afterwards. And then, you know, you look out and then you start following along and you, you know, and you just, this little, it's like this, uh, we don't realize what is in our ecosystem, like of talented Canadians that are smart, want to be involved, but they just need a little encouragement. They just need a little kick in the bum, you know, just a little, little, here we go and get out the door because I keep running into them all over the place. You know, how many Saskatchewan folks that are just sharp as tacks, 
are sitting there. And Alberta's the same way, and I'm sure Ontario has them. I'm sure you know BC has them, and everything else. It's just they're they're caught in um, a little bit of their own ecosystem. They're they're smaller one, um, and and then essentially, uh, not essentially, but as well, they don't realize how many talented Canadians are sitting right beside them. And you know that's a, that's a little bit of a network of like, I mean we just had a whole bunch of independent media at the last show. And that was really interesting to watch play out. You know, a lot of them are Twitter characters as well. Um, but even now, as things are coming down the pipe, I see them now interacting and working together. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of cool. I don't know where that goes. I have no idea. But the, on the political side, uh, Jennifer, I think, you know, like you talk about running, I, I'm like, I wonder how many other, uh, people who are paying attention such as yourself are pondering that same question. And, uh, you know, and then there's probably people sitting right beside you that have no idea that that was even a thought out of your brain. You know, it's like, cause if you know a little bit of encouragement, help, I'll help you do this, you know, like, uh, cause running in politics is not like an individual by themselves. They're going to need some help on, you know, the door knocking alone and getting out and all that jazz. Like, whew, I, I don't, I look at politics. And I'm like, man, that's a steep ask, right? Like there's a reason why lots of good people don't want to get involved in it. That's true. And I, you know, I, it's been a conversation that's kind of uh, a lot of people ask me. I mean, you can even look at my Twitter and it's a question that I'm asked all the time, at least once a week. But the thing is, is that I want to be able to make a difference. And I know that that sounds so cliche, but it's like, I, I think from being involved in politics for as long as I have and watching things play out the way they have, if I can't go in with 110% confidence that I can actually do the job that I'm required to do and, and, you know, make the people that elected me proud, then I would never do it. And I just, yeah, I know that there's going to be people that if I were to ever run that I'm up against that have the connections or have the name or have the money or have the family. And I don't have that. And that's just plain and simple. You know, me, for me, I'm the first one in my family to go to university. I'm the first one to be politically active. This, what I have today I had to build from the ground up and then overcome so many hurdles that the average person doesn't even have to go through. So to think about ever trying to get elected sounds so incredibly difficult. And if it ever comes down to that day, I hope the people know that if I ever decide to put my name on a nomination paper, it's because so much thought went into it and that it's because I'm ready and fully able to do it. Um, I think the average person in Canada has had to do a lot of what you've had to do. Not certainly not the, the, uh, cultural aspect and certainly a couple parts there. I think we're like, I think we're led to believe that, uh, to be in politics, you have to have this great, amazing background and all these blah, 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 blah. And I, I, at this point I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'd love to see a political nerd like uh, Jennifer in politics where she's ramped up. But I'd also like to see a, uh, a guy who's ran a plumbing company and he's just like, you know what? I'm fed up and let's get in there and let's get to work and let's start doing things like that. Because, you know, like, you know, in my mind, what makes Western Canada, probably all of Canada, I got listeners right across the board is, um, just the everyday person. They're, they're, they're like, so, great you know you, you talk about trying to make the world a better place and that being cliche and you know blah 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 it's like but I, that's that's why i continue to do this that's why i like i love it but the reason i keep it's like i have to find a way to push 
the world just a little bit good, just a little bit better. So when my kids come around to being of age, they aren't in this strange world where nothing makes sense because I'm learning very quickly. If you stop playing the game or you just go on idle cruise, cruise control for too long, things start going like, you know, like what, what is happening right now? Like wh what is going on? You know? And certainly we can point to a lot of weird stuff coming down through, um, I don't know, just social movements, right? Of, of trying to be inclusive to everybody and it's making things really strange. So when you talk about leaving the better uh, place, a better, uh, the world, a better place, I think I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, and I think a lot of people are trying to do that or want to do that. It is a strange thought. It is like a sense of grandeur that you are like, Oh, I can leave. But I mean, if enough people with that thought get together, you probably can. Yeah. I like to your point about like electing like plumbers and stuff like that. I got into that conversation on Twitter one day where I told people, you know, don't just, don't just vote for the people with fancy degrees and fancy titles. I mean, am I proud to, to have those pieces sure. of paper on the wall? Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I think the average Canadian um, brings a wealth of knowledge to the table that, can't be taught in school. And I, I married someone that worked, you know, in resource development and civil heavy earthworks actually for over a decade. And the knowledge that he brings is something that I will never know. Like I, you know, the way he talks about moving the earth and, and all the minerals and everything, I don't even know, you know, and it's like, I went to school for a very long time. And I think that my husband is one of the smartest people I've ever met. But he's not, uh, he doesn't want to study, he doesn't want to sit in school, he wants to get his hands dirty, and he wants to work hard. And I, I do think, though, that there has to be a certain level of understanding as to how politics works and how, you know, how policy and everything comes together. But that can be taught. Well, then, 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 Jennifer, then here's the next question. I agree with it, you. I, I think there has to be a little bit of understanding, even if you're the greatest, most hardworking person. If you get into politics and have no idea about anything to do with politics, you can be the smartest person in the world. The learning curve for what? The first two years is going to be like monumental. So what could a person who wants to get into politics do as maybe a little bit of a stepping stone just to wet their toe, just to be like, Oh, this is kind of what it is. And this is what's kind of expected. And then if they did that, by the time they go to run for an MP or an MLA or what have you, um, they would be still the, the, and I'm sticking with a plumber. I don't know why they'd still be the plumber that everybody loves and knows is a smart person. But with a little bit of uh, what you just said, right? Like a little bit of knowledge on what politics, how it actually works and that type of thing. I think um, if I were to start like not knowing how to get involved in politics, I would try to get involved locally. And I know that that seems really tough because people are like, how do you even get involved locally? Um, reaching out to your party of choice locally and finding out who that EDA is and, and creating a little circle, whether it be join Twitter. Seriously, join Twitter and you will find people all over the all over the spectrum that you can connect with. Um, and then if I had to suggest one way for people to just watch politics in action without, you know, watching question period where it's a gigantic waste of time, um, I would suggest watching committee. Like if you're someone where you're like, OK, I care about indigenous issues or I care about the gun legislation or, you know, these are the issues I care about. Find the committee that's relevant to that and just watch it. Watch how the MPs are interacting with each other, the questions that they're coming up with. Um, you know, that's that's a place to start. I don't expect everyone to read legislation and to understand fully like how things work, but it's just yeah, just getting started that way. 
just easy steps. I look for, you know, like easy steps where you can just see if it's something that you want to do, right? Because if you get into politics for four years, you know, I, I think of myself, like the biggest fear is like, what if you just hate it day two? And you're like, what have I done? You know? And uh, <laughs> so it, it's like, it's like job shadowing. Like there has to be a way and I'm certain there is, right? As I say that, I'm like, oh, I'm sure you could ride around with a politician for the day and they'd love that, right? Like, just to see exactly what they do, right? Like, what are you doing? You know, is it just coffee and, and shaking hands, kissing babies? Or is it like reading a 500-page report and by the end of it, Sean's like staring at the, the stars going, whew. And some people can just like, you know, the bylaws that have been coming in with, um, uh, um, Oh, I'm forgetting the term right now, but uh, here in Alberta, there's been lots of talk about the bylaws coming down to different uh, municipalities or communities about, uh, you know, how many cattle, chickens, et cetera, you're going to be able to have on your farm. And now somebody had to read a stack of papers like that to find it. And I'm like, Sean is not that person. Someone is that person. And some people are just like, you know, I think of my mama, actually, she's a, uh, uh for the RM of Britannia here, she's one of the councilwomen and she's like wired for that. She can just read things. It's a, that is a superpower being able to read a, you know, Sean tries to put it in 10 sentences. Uh, we're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, change this uh, fitting and that's, what's going to happen. And government puts that into like a hundred page report and and like really tries to sound complex when it probably it's a little easier but you're a policy nut so i assume you love reading long drawn out things i do and i actually started using um tiktok uh i actually have a bigger reach on there than i do on do twitter you? but i i know people don't like tiktok but you know what i've been covering this chinese allegation stuff on there and like the, every, everyone in the comments is like you're making it so easy to understand it's like, maybe it's the mom in me. Like, I don't know if I'm just good at breaking things down. But, and then I, I grab screenshots from the government account website. And I'm like, here's the vote. Here's what they voted on today. Here's the motion. This is what it means. And, you know, I went on TikTok live the other night and I was on there for two hours. Just people were asking me so many different questions. And I was like, I have no problem answering any of these. And, you know, everyone was like, thank you. Like, you're making it so easy to understand. And I, I think that's necessary because I think that there's too much big language around politics and it it scares people away because there's a there's a lot of things even when I entered politics I'm like what does that mean you know I don't know what any of that means and you have it's to a learn, different right? language you're you're mm -hmm. you're literally learning a different language when you get into uh, it doesn't matter uh, the 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 realm politics mm -hmm. uh, if you <laughs> if you're not a gun lover and you start mm -hmm. talking to somebody who is a gun advocate in the first two minutes they will have Sean going uh huh. I missed like you just gave me seven acronyms and I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. But the most avid hunter is just like, oh, yeah, totally. Right. It goes the same with cars. It goes the same with just on down the line. So politics is is, is uh, that. Yeah. Like the the breakdown. So you I, I'm not a TikTok guy because I hate it. I'm a, not a TikTok guy because I can't keep I, I got three kids. I don't have time to like watch. Tick, I always watch uh, QDM. I'm always like, like, how on earth does he have the time? No kids. So I'm going to, he's got, he's got lots of cattle and he's calving and all that good stuff. But I laugh at him. Like you got no kids, man. Cause there's no way I can be on Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok. He's probably got a Snapchat handle that's blown up. I mean, that's how he started. Blah, 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 blah. But making things simple so that I can understand it or other people can understand it. 
is much needed. So you're doing something very, very much needed or very, very needed because politics is confusing. It's taken a long time for me asking a lot of dumb questions to start to understand kind of, kind of how our system works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I enjoy making the videos. It takes like, it takes a couple of minutes out of my day, but for the most part, I already kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, but I will say TikTok's one of those places where like people come at me and, and they think I'm a reporter and I'm like, I'm not a reporter. I don't owe, like they'll say, well, you know, Stephen Harper did this. And it's like, I'm not talking about Stephen Harper. I'm not a reporter. I don't owe you anything. This is my content. If you don't like that, I'm not fans of the liberals. That's your own problem. So, um, I'm curious. Uh, Tuz had uh, sent me a text this morning when I was. Um, he knew you were coming on, and he said it'd be fascinating to hear your thoughts on the policy of uh, of UNDRIP. Um, United. What is it? What is it? I wrote it down here somewhere. Um, yeah, U- UN Declaration on Rights of Indigenous Peoples. It was accepted back in 2007. It became a law in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, people have thrown around UNDRIP like uh, all over the place. Do you know much about it? Have you read the policy? Um, is there anything you can dispel to all of us? There's there's a couple things. Like I, I haven't read the full document in its entirety. It's basically a set of standards of how Indigenous people should be, I guess, treated at a global level. Um, there's some parts in there where they are absolutely fitting to our issues here in Canada. Um, like there's a component in there on self-determination, which is our right to exist freely, politically, economically, and be free from um, harassment and humiliation and everything in between. Um, so there's certain parts of that where I, I agree with it fully. Um, I will say, honestly, I'm just, I'm focused on like the individual level of like being Indigenous and our communities and and helping them um, create policy and do really cool things. Like I, I know that some people are, are big fans of that. I, I don't know enough to form a, I guess, an educated opinion on it. So when it comes to um, indigenous right now, across all the different reserves, that type of thing, what's one of the things that you're a strong advocate for, for that they don't have or, yeah, probably that they don't have that you think they need that would make life better. Um, self self determination and self governance is a big one. Um, like people always come to me and they'll be like, "Well, are you saying that the Conservative Party would be better for Indigenous people?" So no, I've never said that. Point me in the direction where I have ever publicly said that. I have never said that. I think first and foremost, having strong government on our on our nations is the priority because it ensures that we have good leadership and we know that we are protecting our sovereignty. Um, I think that second is just getting certain components back and and within the the autonomy of our nations, like Bill C-92 gives autonomy back to First Nations over child welfare. So, you know, we hear a lot of issues with the government doing wrong to Indigenous people on um, child welfare. We hear settlements, we hear class action lawsuits. That is now becoming a reality for First Nations where they can just have the autonomy over child welfare. So Bill C-92 gives that freedom back. So, you know, nations are now doing the work to build their own child welfare programs so that there's no there's no government meddling with how it's, you know, it becomes an issue within their own communities now. So when you say self-determination, self-governance, governance, Mm -hmm. uh, those were the two. Yes. Yeah. Can you. 
simplify that for me? I, I know that's pretty simple, but I'm like, what does that actually mean? Um, so self-governance would just be self-governance, sorry, would just be um, the right for our First Nations to have their own government structures. So chief and council, whatever their government structure looks like or leadership looks like within their own communities. Um, so it would just be rather than the um, the federal government kind of controlling how they act through the Indian Act, uh, they are then u- utilizing their own power. Self-determination has many different definition- definitions and people kind of pick and chew at what parts of it they like um but for me what self-determination means is as an indigenous person i'm allowed to exist freely believe in politics the way i want to believe in them pursue economic opportunities the way i feel like it and not be you know crapped on by anyone from outside of me um telling me what to do because i have the right and autonomy over myself like any other canadian does right I'm trying, I feel like I'm missing something here. So forgive me. When you say Mm self-governance and you say the ability to have a chief and council, right now, don't you have chief and council? Or am I just wrong on that? We do, but there's certain autonomy that we don't have. Like, you know, you have your chief and council that manages things on your communities, um, but there isn't certain things that traditionally first nations have had the right over and child welfare is one of those where the federal government made the decisions so bringing that back to a self-governance model and the, for the community to be able to write their own policy and their own programs would that be similar and i i this is where my um political no is lacking would that be similar to an rm in saskatchewan that has a reeve and council members and they do the governance for a specific area. Is that kind of similar to what you're talking about with self-governance? Or is that not at all what I'm thinking? I'm going to think Somewhat. It's just kind of moving away. I think I guess then the way to put it would be moving away from the Indian Act. Because the Indian Act is what dictates everything, right? Like people say, well, why don't you just drill a well in your community to get clean water? Yes. You can't without asking the federal government. The federal government has to make every decision. The, the Indian Act ensures that they basically are parenting us as people. Oh. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of working parts and a lot of people ask questions where it's like, I just don't think that they understand that there's a lot of things that First Nations still have to go to the government for. So right now, if you on a reserve wanted to go just drill a well, not allowed. What happens if you drill a well? I don't know. And like, yeah, like there's like, you can't even own a house on a reserve right now. And I know Pierre Polyev was talking about that. We're getting equal access to like mortgages and stuff. Cause like, if I want to go live on my community and get a mortgage for home, I can't do that. I don't own the land. The government does. Hmm. That's a, that's a tough thought because, uh, you know, like uh, come from a farming background. And uh, certainly why farmers are up in arms about the bylaws coming in is the government telling them how they're going to run their farm, right? Mm -hmm. To me, in the simplest sense, they're going to dictate, you know, if, uh, you know, well, the bylaws are basically trying to come come in as, you know, once again, I go back to the cows and the chickens and whatever else, but it's like, you know, 
a, a farmer is a very smart person. They know what their land can do. They can, you know, they're like very, they have to be attentive to it because if you buy, you know, a thousand cows and they all die, you are out of business, right? Like you have to really know. But when it comes to water, if they want to drill a well, like they drill a well. I, 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 you know, when I'm trying to think back to when, um, I was living out there and we just, we ran out of water, our water, um, sand it off. So we just went and drilled, you know, got a company come out, survey, boom, drill a well, done. Didn't, yeah. I'm trying to remember if there was permission asked, anything like that. And I'm like, that's a, that's a wild thought. Like I, I didn't realize that. I don't know like the full technical side of that. I know like there's Jocelyn would probably know a little bit more. And I know Melissa Mabarki, she knows quite a bit about this type of stuff too. Um, But I, yeah, like it's it's not as easy as it looks. And I, I think there's a misconception that, you know, Indigenous people are just kind of sitting on their hands waiting for the government to fix things. And that's not it at all. There's a lot of bureaucratic hurdles that you need to go through. And anyone that has ever worked with a community and worked with government at the same time understands fully that there's there's a lot of bureaucratic loopholes you have to go through. Self, uh, So that's the self-governance portion. I, I, I think I'm starting to... Um... I think I understand what you're talking about there. And uh, like overall, this isn't like where all of a sudden you become a different country or something. To me, it's just like it gets to the point where you're like, we don't listen to anything the federal government or the provincial government says. It's more you have control of over uh, your land and what goes on on it and, and like and things that are very, very local, which you don't have right now. That's what I'm, I'm fair to say that. Yeah, there's certain things, right? Like right now you have to deal pretty heavily with the federal government. First nation communities don't really have to deal with the province unless it's um, something that I guess affects them provincially. When you say self-determination and you probably did this already and I'm just going to, I'm going to make sure that I got that. When you say self-determination, can you, can you uh, give me again what, what you mean by that? Yeah, so just the right to just exist politically and and economically and pursue those opportunities and be free from um, just judgment while doing it. Like we we have the right to exist and to coexist in our in our culture and and you know as a Canadian, that's the way I look at it. I feel dumb for asking this, so I, <laughs> and sometimes I, folks, as you know, don't. We have that or we don't have that, the self-determination. Is that like, am I just a moron for saying that? We're, we're working on it. Like I, you know, we should have it, but like, let, let's take me for example. Okay. I, I go on, I go on Twitter and I don't like the liberal party and I'm vocal about that. And then I have, um, I have a liberal person come at me and say, you're a fake Indian or, you know, you should be ashamed as, as an indigenous person to vote for the conservative party or whatever. Um, they're actively working against my right to self-determination to to decide what is best for me as an individual. And that has actually happened, by the way, multiple times. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I could be wrong on this sentence, but I'm like, (laughs) I don't don't judge life by Twitter. Like Twitter is, uh, Mm -hmm. I just, I think horrendous things get thrown either which way. You have a tribe. And it's either, you know, in Canada, for the most part, it's, it's either liberal or conservative. You're in one of those two parties and they will say the most horrendous things. And some people get a kick out of it. Some people love to watch the world burn 
and I do not understand it. Um, but in saying that, I, I, I get what I get what you're talking about. And in that case, then I think all of us want probably both of the things that you mentioned, self-determination mm-hmm. and self-governance, uh, governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, you know, as we, uh, slowly wind down, I, I appreciate you coming on and doing this, uh, Jennifer, and I appreciate you, you, um, you know, having a little bit of fun with, with Sean as he asks, you know, like I'm a, I am always uncomfortable in these uh, conversations. I don't know why, <laughs> but when it comes to indigenous, uh, just like anything, it's it's like it's been bred into our culture of like, well, we don't talk about it because it's so mm-hmm. charged. And it's like, well, we got to talk about it because like at some point in time, like we got to, I don't know, fix the, the wrongs of the past. I don't know if that's possible. Um, but we, if we don't try, like, you know, then they continue to perpetuate into the future forever and like you know we hear the water thing me and twos have talked about it so many times like this is like i i'm like if people need clean drink water at some point let's just let's just get a truck up there and go hammer a couple wells in let's you know like that's the blue collar way it's like Mm -hmm. here's the problem let's go fix it um but when you talk about the federal government having complete control not complete but kind of on all the reserves you're like oh okay so why does no government want to give that up? That's that's an interesting, um, that's an interesting problem. Well, and think about drilling a well and then trying to bring that water from just that well to a big community, depending on the size of it as well. Like you still need infrastructure there, and you need money for that infrastructure. And yeah, like there's a lot of well, you'd you would love it. love. You know who should you should have in a Twitter space is Jocelyn Bursiak. Yeah, Mani- I, I, Mani- I Manitoba. Her. Manitoba lady who does exactly that is, mm-hmm. is brilliant and can mm-hmm. talk to all of this. Um, you know, it, the money things, I shouldn't say hilarious, but it's, it's almost like funny for a government that spends money on absolutely everything. One of the biggest issues they have is they, you know, money is there, but nobody gets paid. So where's the money? Mm-hmm. Nobody seems to know. Um, yeah, it's a strange, strange situation. Either way, I appreciate you coming on and doing this. I I'm happy to finally uh, meet you, considering mm-hmm. you're at a show, and I you know I can't remember if I said hello or not. But <laughs> either way, um, I always apologize to everyone after all those shows because my brain is mush. Like I just it's been a long day. Um, before I let you out of here, though, we got to do the crude master uh, final question, and uh, that is, uh, if you're going to stand behind a cause, stand behind it absolutely. What's one thing Jennifer stands behind? Um, just. Yeah, what do I stand behind? Uh, A lot of things, actually. Um, I think just, you know, take your morals and your beliefs and stand behind them. And again, if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked with me, then I'm not here for your feedback. So. Oh yeah, we get we all get our asses kicked from time to time. Uh, I appreciate it, Jennifer. And uh, well, you know, um, uh, next time you're in the neighborhood of Lloydminster, you make sure to drop me a line. I'd love to have coffee or something, and yeah. uh, we'll go from there. Either way, thanks for giving me some time this morning. And uh, well, I look forward to seeing uh, you know where where life takes us both, and when we eventually cross paths yet again. I'm sure. For sure. Thanks, Sean. <laughs>